Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to movies relegated to a late night purgatory. Tonight is our grand finale of our Flicks-tober series for this year, covering the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Tonight we are doing New Nightmare and Freddy vs. Jason, and I am... Like a fat kid in a candy store. Uh, just a lot to consume here. Um, I've made celebratory martinis for myself. Extra dirty. Extra olives. Because I wanted to class up this joint a little bit. It uh, stinks like armpits and <laughs> stale Red Bulls in here. I don't like it. So let's air this, air this bitch out and... Uh, End this end the series on a on a high note. I'm joined as always by Adam Walker. Adam, no, no. What did I tell you? I'm joined no, as I'm always. I'm not. By, <laughs> if the, I have like the newspaper with today's date and a gun to my head, I'm joined as always by Abe Snake. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm glad to be on the show. Thanks for bringing me on the show, Pat. 
So um, Adam or Abe wanted to call back a joke from the first episode that no one fucking heard, I'm sure. So that's that's a good way to start things off, which is confusing everybody. I want to ask, does the, the, the armpit and Red Bull stench, is that for, is that for me? Because I, I, I leave a, a stench in places I go. I, I permeate the room with my stink. If we had a if we had a stench, I was just trying to nail it. It wasn't it wasn't directed necessarily at you specifically. I just assume because I was consuming a lot of Red Bull while I was there because I was so busy and I stink. That was not a a slight at you, but even more fucking hilarious that that's fine. uh, I I totally own I, I will own my stink. I know that like in in times of yore, I've been a stinky man, an intentionally stinky man. Well, we both smell bad. Cool. So that's fine. I um, chalk it up. I chalk it up to. Here's the thing. I have always chalked it up to. It's not my stink. It's my pheromones. Okay. Just you know, just trying yeah. to release some some sex chemicals in the fucking there. air. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll the, tell with, my. Uh, I'll tell my stepson that you were just trying to release sex chemicals into the air of his bedroom. Well, be gl- glad to hear that. Well, because, you know, Red Bull is also comprised of bull pheromones, taurine. Bull piss. Oh, taurine. Yes. So um, I have bad news for a guy like you. Oh, no. I've been watching the Chucky TV series. Oh, and it no. Is, it is delightful. It is just really, really good. Um, but moreover, I knew you'd be bummed by that news. Uh not surprising that I love it, but I was thinking though, why aren't there more successful um, horror screen to TV adaptations? Freddy's Nightmares in the late '80s, right? Which was amazing. I loved it when I was a kid. I've not seen anything about it, uh, so I don't have an opinion. So I'm not saying that wasn't successful, but I haven't it, heard anyone say anything good about it. Was it was not successful. I know that for a fact. It didn't last very long, but. I personally thought it was great. It was it was a, a favorite show of mine growing up. But anyways, Friday the 13th, the series, which aired around the same time, late 80s, early 90s, which had nothing to do with the Friday the 13th movies at all, had no connection to the franchise. Was Jason in them? Nope. Had nothing to do at all. Just with anthology and- spooky stuff. It was based, and this I like that show too. I was actually when I was a kid, I was disappointed that it had nothing to do with the franchise, but the show itself was actually pretty pretty fun. It was about a haunted antique store that all of the all of the items in the store were possessed or somehow cursed, and so the they were like detectives. They were like paranormal detectives, I believe that were connected to the store. And it was their whole duty to go out and find the cursed items that had left the store. And there was kind of a monster of the week story associated with each item. It was actually a really good show. Very strange. Mm -hmm. Um, The exorcist had a TV series on Fox that I actually watched. Um, I think it stopped airing like several years ago, but I was having a good time watching that one. I, I think Gina Davis is in it. I can't remember because mm. it's been so long. Um, yeah, no, it's. It, I just looked it up. Gina Davis is in it. It's pretty good. Okay. And then Ash versus Evil Dead, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's fucking I, awesome. 
Is it awesome? I don't know. I watched one episode. It didn't grab me. Maybe I'll go back to it. The problem with Ash versus Evil Dead was I think it was on like Stars or something. So it was like not very accessible. All three seasons now that it's been canceled are on Netflix. But this ties back around to I'm just having so much fun with this with this uh, this Chucky adaptation. And I was thinking about how I'm kind of like the Guy Fieri of of this podcast and of horror movies in general. Like if it's funky, I'll find it. Like I, I, for the most part, um, will consume. I, I just go around this, this fucking country consuming any goddamn thing I could put in my Wait, throat. Did you mean to say Guy Fieri? Yeah. It's, it's pronounced Fieri. It is not. Yes, it is. Uh, an, an uncultured person such as yourself would not know. Are that, you? But yeah. No, you're fucking, you're fucking with me, man. Yeah, it's Italian. It's Fieri. Mm-hmm. Holy. Yeah, mm-hmm. How about that? I didn't I had no idea. I still think you're fucking with me, but I'm I'm no. gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm no, gonna, no, no. I'm gonna ride with you on this one. I promise. <laughs> okay. So if I'm if I'm the guy Fietti, I, I promise this all ties in. You're like <laughs> I don't I'm just now thinking of this because I didn't think of an analogy for you. I just had written down in my notes like I'm the guy Fietti of, of horror because I consume all these things that you you won't touch. Mm-hmm. Um, yo, here you're like Anthony. You're the Anthony Bourdain of this fucking podcast. I'll you think because that. like you you're friends with the New York Dolls or some shit that <laughs> <laughs> you're cooler than everybody, <laughs> <laughs> and you've got a real poo poo attitude towards a lot of towards a lot of things. I but like that. I'll own I, that. I love you nonetheless. Like, <laughs> I, like I love Anthony Bourdain. And Anthony Bourdain and Guy Fieri, I guess, had beef. Oh, I'm some, sure they did. For some reason. Completely. So even they, they did the same exact thing. <laughs> right, but diametric opposites, I feel yes. like, in many yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. Chaotic, so chaotic neutral and or chaotic <laughs> evil and uh, I don't know. What's the yeah. fucking opposite of that? Is there chaotic, <laughs> is there chaotic good? good? Yeah. Yeah. There's a chaotic I don't know. Yeah, Guy Fieri's chaotic good. Anthony Bourdain would be chaotic evil. Fair enough. But that's why I. The reason why I bring this up is because I feel like tonight, especially, we're going to get Adam can't can't stand a thing. Not because it's necessarily new, or you know, past. We always joke that you don't like something. You don't like anything past like 1993 or whatever. Yeah. But but because it's different, and I think. You just does it doesn't make you feel safe. <laughs> You're, you want to you want to uh, retreat back to the safety of of the movies earlier, previously in this in this franchise. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I feel like we're going to get a lot of negativity from you tonight. Well, it'll be interesting. I'm not going. I would like to be pleasantly surprised. I'm not going to betray too much. Good. That's fine. But. Why don't we get into New Nightmare then? Hell yeah. See if my theory holds true. (laughs) New Nightmare um, released in 1994, October of 94. So it was actually almost exactly 10 years after the first one. Grossed uh, nearly 20 million on a budget of 8 million, making it the worst performing film in the franchise. However, it received... Fairly positive reviews almost across the board, which is um, a step in a different direction, especially when compared to Freddy's Dead and Dream Child. I mean, I don't know if we've had favorable reviews critically since 
maybe Dream Master, more than likely Dream Warriors, honestly. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and this is this is Wes Craven kind of taking back the Freddy character and making him, I don't want to say a threat again, but he had seen how watered down and, and kind of jokey Freddy had gotten over the years um, and took him back to being like a crazed maniac of sorts. The whole premise was that nobody was afraid of Freddy and that this ancient evil was was getting out because of it. Um, so, it, you know, Craven himself said it wasn't a spinoff, but uh, he's quote unquote saying, fuck it, like I'm taking this shit back. <laughs> and, you know, canonically, I understand like this doesn't tie into the rest of the series necessarily. Um because it's its own beast altogether. Yeah. Well, and I think that also this was the first instance of Craven developing this trope in horror that he also went on to expand upon with the Scream movies of breaking the fourth wall. The do you meta- think he was testing it out to see how Scream would do? Or do you think Scream was even on his radar yet? I have no idea. I really don't. But that's definitely the, the meta narrative about, you know, utilizing horror tropes or the, the, the pop cultural perception of his movies within the movie itself. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. And people playing themselves. Right. Um, you know, Robert England is in this as a guy. You know, Robert England is playing the actor who plays Freddy, um, essentially. And I think maybe the confusion of it went over people's heads. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it is a very heady movie. Like, you got to conceptualize a lot of different kind of shit. Um, and I don't think people just want to think critically when they go to see a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Um, personally, one of my favorites in the franchise, which I've been saying since we started. Um, and I, I, I had such a great time rewatching. I, I still really, really like it a lot. I love it. And I love conceptually that he was just fucking going for it. Um, any thought, any other tidbits off the top before we get into the good? Yeah. So what I will say is I watched this installment pretty late in the game. Didn't want anything to fucking do with it for years. Thought the whole concept was completely corny. Didn't get on board with it. Finally watched it. Didn't despise it. Definitely didn't really like it that much. It was fine. Upon this most recent viewing of it, I will say that halfway through, still kind of in that mindset, finished it out, came away with a new appreciation for it. Oh, that's wonderful. That so there you go. Either this martini is warming my stomach or <laughs> that comment gave me the warm and fuzzies. But either way, yeah, I'm feeling warmed up. Um, well, good. That That's good to hear. So let's get into the good, the bad, and the questionable.
starting with the good um I mean, we mentioned it, uh, like conceptually what this movie is, but I love the movie inside of a movie thing, uh, even outside of this. I, I like that conceptually in, in other movies when, when done well, it's super meta. It's the fourth wall breaking premise. Um, and I suppose you have to enjoy that idea or there's no way you're buying into this to begin with. So either you like that kind of shit, like the mirror being held up to the franchise and like a reappraisal of how we got here or you just you just would rather have like and I'm not saying one is good and one is bad or you'd rather just have like a dial by numbers Freddy is killing people in their dreams again concept um you know but you have to buy into this uh this super meta premise to even enjoy this movie on on any level and I buy into it yeah, well, and really, as you were saying, how this was Craven doing what he wanted to do as far as taking the franchise back, getting ownership of it again, it really does tie into what is the concept of the original movie, which is this blurring of lines of reality and fiction, reality and dream. So it's taking that idea even further. So it's like, you know, almost like a lucid dream kind of thing where he's going for where, you know, where where does the existence of the actors and the people that play the parts in these movies end, and where does the actual, you know, the fiction of the movie begin and things like that. So, yeah, it really does a lot of toying with this idea in multiple different ways. So. And I mean, I suppose we should suss this out because I feel like there's peripheral viewers of, of New Nightmare. People still refer and it, it, you know, <laughs> I'm not trying to call them the entity for the rest of the, the episode, but I don't think people actually knew that that like did that that Freddy in this movie is not Freddy. So the, the idea here, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be as succinct as possible, is that the Nightmare on Elm Street film created this entity which became trapped within the film franchise and during its entrapment it became fascinated with freddy krueger and took on his form and after freddy was killed by his daughter in freddy's dead the film franchise ended and the entity now calling himself freddy krueger entered our real world so and however to fully escape it needed to kill a gatekeeper of sorts, which is Heather Lingenkamp. The reason being uh, because she was the first person to quote unquote defeat Freddy. So despite taking Freddy's form, you know, he has noticeable differences. He like is like trench coat mafia guy. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's got the black trench coat. There's more of an organic look to his claw because he's not wearing a glove. It is his like actual anatomical hand. Um, so there's a lot going on. I, I think that was a mindfuck for people because it's it's not, you know, Wes Craven had to come up with this concept that storytelling, when done well, has the ability to summon evil, <laughs> essentially, is, is, is what it comes down to. And that, in a nutshell, fucking rules. Now, whether or not it he did it, he, he pulled it off, I don't think he even pulled, not even I, the... Uh, 
you know, the champion of this movie. <laughs> I, I, I don't necessarily think he pulled it off well, but I love that idea. Yeah, there's definitely some aspects of it that didn't quite land. They didn't quite pull off completely well. And that's more, I don't necessarily think in the, in the, in the, the writing itself, but more in the representation of certain things throughout the movie, practical and CGI early C- CGI effects wise, things like that. Um, representation of the Freddy entity. Those are where it, it kind of fell a little bit, but yeah, overall, I think the writing of it is pretty good. And I like the way that throughout they not only do they do callbacks to the movie itself, the first one, but they do callbacks to even the ephemera related to it. And again, the pop cultural um, uh, devices used to represent the film, like the, the claw itself is a direct replication of the biomech claw in the first poster yes like so it's like little details like that to me are really cool um i also like the idea that craven was actually taking real life scenarios that affected particularly heather langenkamp around the movie and put them into the subtext or the plot of the movie so the idea that Heather Langenkamp had a stalker at the time, so the stalker is represented in the Demon Freddy entity idea that is calling her all the time. And also, I like the idea that he was trying to portray through showing Robert England upstaging her whenever mm-hmm. she was in, mm-hmm. you know, co-guesting with him on a show and the idea that she as an actress got completely eclipsed by Robert England, literally in that scene in his shadow and metaphorically in his shadow. Yeah. Right. And how, and we talked about this with the first one, how it is crazy that her career didn't kind of skyrocket. Now, whether that was by her own personal, you know, choice or whether it was just, Again, just the the weird chance of people's professional trajectories going certain ways. But she really, she never quite a- achieved the superstardom that Robert England did, of course, as an actor. He just became such a cultural icon where she showed up in three installments of this movie and then had a little bit of, uh, of a TV career and some little bit parts throughout the 40 years she's been an actress yeah and she deserves more because she's a great actress she did a phenomenal job in in all these movies so yeah so two things and i agree with both you can just you know whether or not you like the idea of it you can just tell though how much of a better master craftsman Craven is than any previous director that we've talked about. Like this is him like flopping his boss hog on the table. <laughs> like his ape he, snake His apes. Ah, yes. <laughs> He's putting apes. Ape snake is out on the table flopping around. <laughs> but like, like Rennie would not be able to handle conceptually like something as complex as this. No, no other directors who had taken the reins of this franchise would have been able to pull something off like this. 
I love that he was brought back and just did his own fucking thing with it. And um, this has great Craven work to it, which that's what I love. I, it's a it's a Craven movie first and Nightmare on Elm Street movie second. But to also speak to your point about Heather Langenkamp, it was right at the top of my good as well. She's fantastic in this and pulling the like real world stalker stuff that she was dealing with at the time that was making her life and her family's life lives miserable and have putting that into this performance. It, it gives it an even more of a meta performance to it. But I, outside of that, I think she just shines in this. It, it's been a while since this franchise had a formidable final girl, not since Kristen and dream warriors. Yeah. We finally get like, a, a great final girl performance again and only in her her capable hands would i have entrusted that and she's fantastic in this yeah just going back to the idea that we talked about with the first one where she is in many ways the greatest final girl yes she's in you know top five top three even yeah yeah absolutely so, so yeah that that whole aspect of it is super cool. So the overarching, you know, the the framework of the movie, the the, the writing and the the ideas behind it are are great. It's great. It's just again within the movie there's there's some missteps to getting the point across. Just hearing me rattle off the the idea behind the entity is so batshit that <laughs> like I don't, you know, I it would have been really hard to to do successfully and to have everybody understand it conceptually. Um, but I want to hear some. I want to hear you rattle off some of your goods and see if they overlap with mine because I probably have a lot more. Well, just to kind of put an exclamation on what we're talking about with Craven doing this, it really did also kind of give Craven, I feel, a second wind in terms of his. Uh, contributions to horror because you know he really hadn't been doing a lot that was notable i think to most people between the first nightmare on elm street and and scream he put out a lot of good stuff like i like the things that he did in between but i think this was you know his reconnaissance to see how this concept would land till he did scream and then of course scream became a ultra super mega hit in the 90s it's like in many ways it is the the defining early to mid 90s mainstream horror franchise yes you know yes and i'm glad i'm glad that's also on his resume because i i just you know when he when he passed i I was actually genuinely bummed um because i i love i just love his work and i i like him as a filmmaker and him as a just a dude <laughs> yeah. seemed really uh really solid and uh but to speak to your like nightmare on elm street like what he did after that yeah he i think people would have thought some of this shit is just him kind of treading water but like between nightmare on elm street and and new nightmare we got you know serpent in the rainbow um people under the stairs we both love people under the stairs you love Deadly Friend. Um, so th- he did a lot of shit. Shocker came out. Um, but yeah, I think you're right, though. This kind of reset the trajectory, um, even though it didn't do well. I don't think it needed to do well 
financially. I think having having it do critically well and having people talk about it in a in a you know in a positive light, unlike the previous installments, is was enough for him. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know, but. You know, this, this this relaunched a second half of his career. In many ways, is the definition of a cult movie in that regards. Yeah, you know, yeah, My, yeah, totally. Where it totally just went agree. over people's heads, and that's one of those movies that, upon rewatch, rewatching, and replayability, it you can glean more and more out of it. So I didn't even understand this idea of the entity fully until like three rewatches ago. And I've seen this movie dozens and dozens of times. The first, however many couple handfuls, I I just didn't, I just didn't even know what that was. It has such a brief explanation to it when Heather visits him at his house. Like that's the only explanation you get. Yeah. And I think upon this watch, I picked up more the idea of it being this kind of almost fairy tale as yeah. well. Yeah. Where Hence he, the, um, the breadcrumbs and the. Yeah. Um, Hill. Yeah. You know, Hansel it's got and Gretel shit. Hansel yeah. and Gretel, Alice in Wonderland kind of aspect to it. So, so that's very cool. You know, where he's trying to tie it into this, the deeper folklore of culture. You know, and human conscious, the archetypes of human consciousness that creates these, you know, ideas, these There's a whole lot going on. It's crazy. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So those are the overarching goods that we can get out of the way. Some of the more uh, small, meticulous goods. Let me say, without a doubt, of any Heather Langenkamp appearance in this series, she is the most babely in this one. Because what you have here is you have the grown woman, Heather Langenkamp, without the, the mom 80s hair. You, you know, mm-hmm. she, has, mm-hmm. she has what I consider a a, um, uh, a a good hairstyle in this. So she's fully come into her own. Our, our, yeah. our, our girl has grown into her own. So she's really she's she, she's really something in this. She's shed the higher the hair closer to Jesus uh, thing that she had going on for for a while. Are you uh, giving her the E.G. Daily Award here? No, because that's a different that's a different metric where that's it's not that's a, by inches, literally, like how many inches on my boner. But we're not talking boner metrics. It's we're not, talking. Not, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not trying to sexualize her. You're right, that right, way. right. You know what I right. mean? I'm trying to say like she's like, you know, she has that kind of I don't know. She has that allure to her that in certain ways transcends just, you know, mere teen boy bonerdom kind of affection. Yeah. And, we're not trying to sexualize her like we do John Saxon. OK, she's no, not a piece who, of meat. Who is Still a fucking stud in this movie also. Hasn't well, aged a fucking day. Just a big <laughs> chunk of cock. <laughs> I love just, it. Yeah. Just a perpetually tanned hunk of man. He's great. He's great in this. <laughs> He's um, great. Yeah. I, I agree with the Heather stuff too. Um she's she's just had she has an aura about her that's like kind of like girl next door, but also yeah. like she pulls off this thing that Craven w- wrote 
the the original character for um, that uh, I don't think anyone else was able to nail um, yeah. fully. And she just does in a number of ways. So yes, she is in the top, the top of top of the good. Um, let me also point out that. I've thought this before, but for some reason it really sunk in this time watching this. But Miko's Hughes or Miko's Hughes mm-hmm. that plays her son and plays Gage and Pet Somebody, it really sunk in for me like how much I actually love him as a child actor. He's really stupendous. I mean, obviously Pet Cemetery to me is the top the pinnacle of his career, yeah. his performance in that, just considering, of course, how young he was, too. But this movie in particular really cemented for me how much I like him and how he does that thing where he's able to definitely pull off being a very, a very sympathetic, creepy, complex child in a movie that isn't irritating. He's not irritating. It's such a hard line <laughs> to toe. And that is also in my good. I I, I put I elaborated on a little bit more like uh, comparatively. I just love him markedly better than Dream Child Kid. Uh, oh, I yeah. Think his name was Whit Hertford is the actor's name. But for uh, for whatever reason, forever, um, you know, in this, this kid will always be the boys have a penis, girls have a vagina kid to me <laughs> from from Kindergarten Cop. Oh, yeah, that's right. And the other kid from Dream Child will always be the like little the, the petulant shithead from the beginning of Jurassic Park. Who's yeah. like, that doesn't look very scary. I'm like a six foot turkey. And like Dr. Grant has to like, you know, spill his proverbial bowels with the like raptor claw or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's like that kid only plays like the like this this awful uh, archetype of of a child and yeah the child we get here is great and that's tough work for especially child acting you have to sympathize without being like oh god this we have to drag this whiny brat around and you know keep him safe and it it's obnoxious but you genuinely like you want him to survive this and you have you know pathos for him which is i think is is a credit to his acting yeah i would also put on par with that and i'm drawing a blank on the dude's name you probably know because we were just talking about this franchise but the guy the kid who played andy in child's play i feel oh yeah andy barclay um i I can't remember his name he's supposed to be in the oh alex vincent yeah yeah he's another one alex vincent's a great another great example uh alex vincent is great in child's play you really 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 like him yeah and you feel really bad for him the whole time you're like man feel really bad for him yeah yeah as a kid i identified with with the andy barclay character in general i thought he just had um you know i just seemed like a a kid that i would also be friends with (laughs) like you know i'm not not a shitty kid at the at the playground that i couldn't relate to or anything yeah for sure so he does great um i really like him a lot in this and yeah i mean Chorus Robert England, he's only in it briefly so i mean he does fine oh i'm talking about robert england as not freddie you know, right. so Robert England as Robert England, Robert England as Robert England. So, of course, he does great in both roles. Um, 
I like all again the callbacks that we've mentioned. Um, in this one, we have the bringing back the the tongue phone gag. Oh yeah, tongue phone gag is back. That's in this the uh, rotating upside down set. Right, uh, Julie's I'll, death is very akin to it's a throwback to Tina's, Tina's death, death. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, that's quicksand stairs is back. Quicksand stairs. We have a, a brief, once again, appearance of our girl Lynn Shay as yes. the nurse. Yeah, yeah, she's so back. She, she reappears in this. I also want to talk about the highway scene where, um, what is Heather's uh, son's name in this? Sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Um, uh, Dylan, sorry. Dylan, sorry. I, I should have known that because I read that they utter the name Dylan a hundred times or something. So I, it should have stuck in my head. But anyways, the scene where Dylan runs across the highway is genuinely nerve wracking. <laughs> when he gets picked up by Freddie from the sky. I think that, you know, and I feel like that was almost a callback to similar to like That's Philip's scary. death in, um, well, I was thinking Philip's death in, uh, um, dream warriors. Kind yes. Of, that, he was like, also, you know, Right, but also yeah, and obviously, yeah, with him getting Gage's death, yeah, Gage's Gage getting fucked up by a, <laughs> se- by a semi, yeah. Can you imagine? Not to get off track, but do you ever think about that that scene in Pet Cemetery when Gage gets walloped by <laughs> the semi? There would be nothing left. He would just be a puddle of goo. It would be goo in a shoe. Yeah, Gage goo, would be goo in a shoe. Goo in a shoe. <laughs> and the fact that they they reconstruct him for the the uh, the funeral scene in that movie, there's just there's no way. <laughs> the only would have I, been a bag of gunk that they would have thrown in. Literally, <laughs> yeah. And like a blonde wig, like he would have been. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's the shoes, like kind of like shoved in on the end of the, in the casket. The only, I don't. This is uh, this sucks that this is the only thing I think about Pet Cemetery now because it's my most recent thing. Because uh, I love that cemetery, obviously, but uh, the only thing I think about now when I when I hear that kid's name or talk about that kid is when we went to uh, see Iron Maiden and we were hanging out with Juggalos in the parking lot and like literal Juggalos, and um, they were very nice. And they were telling me about their son, and they're like, his name's Gage after Pet Cemetery. <laughs> and I was like, that's cool. You named him your son after like a kid that gets fucking <laughs> destroyed by a semi. Like, but also just, turns into just an evil demonic. Yeah, yeah. And then he comes back as, as a <laughs> strange, strange choice. But kills, I love it. Kills fucking Herman Munster. It does. Yeah. It's fucked up, man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that my only association is I hope that Juggalo couple is doing well. I'm sure they like when he was born, they just had like purple Fago with a nipple on it. Like I'm sure Gage Gage is doing great. I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, I don't want to get too off track. Um I also wanted to talk about that ending set design when they go to hell. Yeah. Is yeah. again some of the best set design in the series. Fantastic! It's so it's, so so good. It, it's so great when they get shot out of the demonic Freddy mouth. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of like a if hell was a 
if hell was an amusement park, right? It's, yeah, it's, hell, hell was an amusement park ride. That's what it would look like. <laughs> it's like that. That her them, you know, cascading out of his waterfall mouth is basically the Splash Mountain in hell. So it really is, and I think that again is Wes Craven doing his best to tie in his philosophy education uh, into what he is doing with this, not just with thematically and the writing and all that, but I feel like he's trying to tuck in some ideas with like Western philosophical culture and its roots, because there's, you know, the, the, uh, the Athenian Greek, ancient Greek looking set. So maybe again, he's, he's trying to draw in some ideas with, you know, again, folklore and archetypes and their ancient origins and all of these ideas being, you know, very, very old. Um, so I feel feel that that was going on with that. Because he does say Wes Craven playing Wes Craven in the movie. <laughs> Wes Craven's character says something to the effect of like this entity is ancient and it right. existed before storytelling. And right. it, you know, really really grasped on to this story when it started being told, when they started making these movies. So yeah, this, this sort of ancient evil element is, Mm -hmm. is definitely being uh, touched upon a lot in this. And then during that part, I I do like when Heather Langenkamp stabs Freddie in the eye with an eel. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good choice of a weapon there. Having an eel, eel in the eye. I love that. That's a good and then overall, I just think that that ending is one of the more epic endings in the series. Yeah, I think maybe he uh, saw. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm speculating. Seeing how Freddy's dead chose to end the series and was like, I want to give it like a proper yeah. send off. Although this isn't, you know, this doesn't take place uh, canonically with the rest of the series so it's hard to say but like you know up to that point that's how freddy went out i suppose which was really bad it was a really shitty way to end that character so this is in freddy's dead yeah yes a really shitty way to end that character and kill him off so thank you wes craven for delivering a palate cleanser for that Yeah. yeah 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 well let's so since we're talking about that let's litigate the deaths uh while we're at it um this one has more like uh, it's hard to say. There's not a ton, and there's not like it's not like a bunch of elaborate, goofy Freddy deaths necessarily. Yeah, um, Chuck and Terry are the are the two like prop guys in the beginning that get uh, Chuck gets like the f- finger knives to the throat, and I think Terry gets like a, a chest finger knives to the chest, and so they're dead within like the opening sequence. Um, and then you have Chase. Uh, Heather's husband who gets killed in the automobile accident um, after being stabbed in the chest a bunch. Go ahead. Which uh, let me interject. And I don't think this is an intentional, but maybe it was. I almost feel like that could have been a callback to uh, Dan's death. No, I thought the same thing. It's very, very, because Dan has that like dreamlike driving sequence. And Chase also has like a struggling to stay awake in the car kind of vibe. Um, Also, yeah. Well, I wanted to say before we get too far off track, because I did want to mention this because you talked about the prop guys getting killed by the 
the mechanical hand. What do you do? You bother to think about what is this theoretical Terminator Freddy mashup that they were developing with the that beginning sequence with the mechanical hand? Yeah, I don't know, but I it, fucking loved it. I, is is that a genre mashup that we needed? Was Terminator versus Freddy or something? <laughs> I would love that. I would fucking love that. Yeah, that'd be great. Edward Furlong just gets. Finger knives to the dong. Yeah. <laughs> Repeatedly. <laughs> okay, so um, we have those two. We have three. Chuck and Terry and... Okay, Chuck three. and Terry are basically one, and then Chase yes. being the other. And then Julie uh, yes. getting the, like, uh, callback death in the in the hospital, in the upside-down room. And then, of course, Freddy, the, the Freddy Krueger entity being stabbed in the tongue and burned and exploded and all that shit at the end. So really, I mean, it's between Julie and the entity. Um, And because the Julie death was, I don't want to say rehashed, but Julie death was inspired uh, by the Tina death. Um, Although I really love the Julie death. I'll have to give it to the, the, the Freddy Krueger entity death because of all the reasons we talked about of it being a proper send off. And I love, I love the tongue doing this and he's stabbing <laughs> Dylan's stabbing down. He can't get like the tongue and there's lots of serpent serpentine qualities to it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. very biblical, like Freddie playing the snake in, in this. Yeah. Um, and coming back as, as Freddy snake as well. So, um, I'm going to give it to the Freddy Krueger entity death being the best one. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And also I wanted to point out because we had this discussion with other installments of the franchise where we were litigating the deaths and we were talking about, you know, how with the fifth one and even the sixth one, we were talking about how there really wasn't a lot of deaths. And I was thinking about it across the whole series and really Movie by movie, there isn't a lot of deaths. There isn't a high body count, with the exception of, if you take into account the second one, there's the party, the pool party, Mm -hmm. where I feel like a lot of people get murked. And then somewhat with the Dream Warriors, where there is, you know, an abundance of the Dream Warriors getting dispatched. Mm This movie, this movie franchise, really, you think about it, there isn't a lot. There isn't a high body count per per installment. Not comparatively to Friday the 13th. Right. Per se. I feel like Halloween doesn't have a high body count either, though. I feel like it's closer to Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. So it was just a thought I had where we talked about, oh, there's not a lot of deaths in this. But really, it's it's not a franchise that delivers (laughs) I guess it just depends on your idea of high. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Right. It's probably a lot of killing for for normal normal, people. Normal person. Yeah. But really, yeah, per movie on average, I would say there's only three deaths. Well, while we're talking about the hell, the hellscape sequence at the end, and I I did mention, you know, uh, Snake Freddy being back. I love the Anaconda Freddy with like the where he unhinges his jaw 
It's so fucking good. He puts Dylan's head in it. Oh my god! It is that is a stuff of nightmares. I love yeah. that fucking. And they didn't. They didn't. They didn't cheaply do it. They, they you know they didn't take any shortcuts. It's a great fucking practical effect uh, scene. I love it. That is so good. One of my favorite bits of business in this. We also get another Freddy condom appearance. We do. A, yeah, a stretchy, yeah. A stretchy Freddy. Mm-hmm. When he's coming through the bed again, which is another callback to the first one. And stretch Armstrong Freddy, where he stretch stretches Armstrong his arms. Freddy. Yeah. 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 So lots get, of really, really good callbacks. Yeah, we get a lot of good callbacks. Um, I wanted to say a couple things, too, before we move on, because I don't know how much more I have on the goods, but a couple little uh, tidbits behind the making of the movie that I thought were funny. Um, this is actually kind of fucked up that I can't believe this happened, but not surprising. Um, <clears throat> but apparently... Wes Craven was looking to get a specific reaction from Miko Hughes, and his parents said there was a way to make him cry. Um, and that was when his mother would leave the set, his father whispered in his ear, Your mother's dead. Mm. And it would make him cry. That's fucked up. That I is wonder not- why child actors are so insane. Yeah. That's the type of shit that they gotta deal with. <laughs> yeah, man. That's that seems strange. You'd think it would be like a pinch on the back of the arm. <laughs> no. That's and I'd heard that kind of thing happening with other child actors and actresses where they you know, the parents or people, you know, in the cast would say, like, your dog died to make them cry. That's how fucking sadistic is that? It just seems like there's just a number of a hundred different options before you get to mom's dead before. Yeah. That's like the nuclear option. Yeah. That's like, that. We got to nuke the fuck. We're on take 17. We got to nuke it. Do, do the mom's dead bit. Yeah, um, that's fucked up. So that's crazy. Also, uh, I did like this, uh, that, uh, before watching or before making the movie, Wes Craven watched all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. He said by the time he was finished, he claimed that he could not follow the storyline at all. So he ref- he regards the sequels to be weak and compared to his original one, which, of course, that makes sense. But it's funny because that is a discussion that we've been having is as the series goes on the coherence of the story becomes more and more unhinged and completely just unfollowable. Yes. Culminating ultimately with the fifth one, at least with the sixth one we talk about, there's a little bit more of a return to storyline coherence, but the fifth one where you're just like, what? Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I think there's a, there's a, a distinct difference between incoherent and complex, obviously. Yes. Like, I don't understand half of Christopher Nolan's fucking movies. I don't know what's going on. He does a lot of manipulation of time and shit. Like, yeah. that doesn't mean that it's not coherent. I'm sure it is. I just, you're just going to take 10 more viewings that I probably just don't have that in me. Or Christopher Nolan's just one of those kind of hack directors that tries to act smarter than his viewers. I'm not going to, we're not going to have that discussion here, but that is a thing that has definitely been brought up. I could see it, but his trip. What? Yeah, whatever. Um, I was going to say his track record shows, you know, that he's he's he knows what he's doing for the most part. Yeah. Um, But, you know, this movie is very complex, but I don't find it incoherent. I understand where they're going with it and what they're trying to do. So that's that's the main difference. We we do have another return to coherence, which is nice. Yeah. 
So there you go. Um, I'm trying to see if what you've covered is anything that I haven't covered. I, I did want to just say, I, I think Julie, the babysitter gets limited screen time, but I also think she's great. Um, yeah. You know, I love the, like, uh, uh, the, she says, you bitch. <laughs> when they like, you know, stab Dylan with the, with the tranquilizer. And she's like, I know what's in this, but do you have any idea what's in that syringe? Like that, that's Yeah, so that's great. <laughs> and I don't know if you know that when he, the, when she says that to that nurse, that nurse is uh Wes Craven's daughter. Really? I did yeah. not know that. That's, <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. Um, what else do I have on here? I just have in all caps, John, the tripod Saxon is back. Uh, so what we've already talked about that. And then we get little bit cameos from uh, uh, fucking what's his name from the first one that plays uh, Tina's boyfriend. Ju- Juice Greek. I can't. Juice that dude. Who are you talking about? The guy who plays fucking Rod, he's at the funeral. Oh, <laughs> he's back. He's there. You you see him for a moment, and then I miss this. But apparently, Tuesday night is also in the uh, the funeral. Is she? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, well, for the sake of time, we should move on to the bad. Yeah. I have other good, but it's not sure. even worth exploring, really. Mm-hmm. So bad. Um, this is. I'll start off with a, a more jokey one, but bad limo driver. Uh, the guy who picks up Heather. I think rule number one of chauffeuring, especially in L.A., is you don't make a big deal about transporting celebrities. Like that guy right. doesn't have a job. There's no way. There's that no he way. Walk, that he dr- <laughs> he drives celebrities for a living and makes a huge deal out of. Heather Langenkamp, who even she's like, I'm not, I'm not famous. So can you just get me from point A to point B? Right. <laughs> so but that yeah. also, I think, plays into the whole idea that Wes Craven was trying to make about how aspects of these actors and actresses' lives are kind of nightmarish and difficult. Yes, yes. No, I think it's, I think it's uh, well placed in the movie. Yeah. But uh, whenever we talk about people being bad at their jobs. That guy's bad at his job. Fired. Fired. He's, he's like he's like on a Lloyd Christmas level. Of, <laughs> yeah, a, a yeah. limo driving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so where are you going? Where you headed to? Yeah. Ah, that dude another. is on his way to Aspen. Well, <laughs> short, shortly after this. Ah, throw another shrimp on the body, eh? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, the return of bad Adam impressions that we didn't ask for. <laughs> <laughs> you liked that, didn't you? The Freddy claw coming up between Chase's legs is like needlessly bad CGI. So bad. It's, it's really the bad. simple stuff that I just that I that I don't understand the most. Like how hard would it have been to practically shoot a glove coming through a car seat? Like that doesn't seem like you would think that got the practical application and then like the Anaconda Freddy was CGI'd. But like it's so bizarre. It's strange to me when the simple shit is CGI'd like that. That seems so the ripples in the seat are so bad. It's it's bad, bad, bad. It's so stupid. Yeah. And the only explanation I can think of for that is due to time constraints, they couldn't effectively shoot that the way they wanted to. So they did a post sort of thing. where like, okay, we can do this now with CGI. Fuck it. Yeah. And I get like, you would have to have like 15 to 20, car seats available to rip yes. open 
Like I get like that it's a it's a, an issue of do we really want to waste this many car seats uh, on takes? But yeah, it, it's just not great. Uh, yeah, it's really bad. Real bad. You mentioned the stress inducing um, interstate scene. And while I agree with you, I think that scene is is one of the weakest in terms of application as well. Like it's basically Dylan running across a green screen freeway yeah. and they try their best to mask it with very quick edits, which yes. is, which is expertly done. Like you don't want to show it for too long because it, it doesn't look great. So you got to quickly just like edit back and forth, back and forth to Heather reactions and then him running across and then cars coming, you know, Adam or whatever, but it, it did him run across the green screen. always, it was bad to me. I don't disagree. Um, it was poorly shot, but I think the idea of it, it is nerve wracking. So yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that. Um, what I wanted to say, I don't know if this is what you were going to say next. So I will, uh, Speak yeah, for you. I am not stoked on Freddie's makeup in this one at all. And oh. I don't I don't like that it. Was, that was one like of the, the goods that I had that I didn't get to. I actually really? I like his getup. Yeah, I like his getup. So uh, then let's have that discussion because maybe this is something I'm missing. I almost feel like the way they're trying to portray Freddie in this is it's like he's um like a comic book character. It's like a comic book representation of Freddy because the hat is like extra green and it's very new looking. It's not beaten up or worn down and he's got the trench coat and the very, very obviously fake prosthetic skin. So to me, it's almost like they're, you know, because this is a facsimile of Freddy, this is a representation of Freddy. It's not Freddy himself. Is that what they were trying to do? Is that what what Russ, what Wes Craven was trying to do was create this this facsimile of Freddy? Yes, yeah. I think. Well, I think you nailed it in terms of like th- that's what they're going for. So, I mean, wh- you know, whether or not you like it is one thing altogether. What they were trying, this idea is, is that this ancient entity wanted to emulate Freddy. And it's so like it's, an, un, yeah, it's an uncanny yeah. valley Freddy. Yeah. yeah. So, but that, that's a slippery slope. So you have this ancient <laughs> entity that's trying to emulate Freddy Krueger. So it's not yeah. supposed to look like Freddy. It's supposed to look like somebody's impression of him. Right. But that's a slippery slope because then you just have like five below Freddy, like someone that just like pieced together a goodwill Freddy. Um, (laughs) So I get it. I get it. Like I, they found a dusty fedora and like a a trench coat and like an old sweater at a goodwill and pieced together a Halloween costume is I could see how it comes off as that. But when I rationalize it, I love the idea of this ancient evil like wanting to be this this storytelling icon and so like he doesn't have a glove like his hand is is a literal bladed it like each digit is bladed like if you notice his thumb has a blade on it yeah which is that's not obviously canon freddy he is not having five claws it's only right 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 yeah it's like his interpretation of what freddy is now that he's allowed to like live in 
this skin a little bit. But yeah, yeah, I I get it. It's, I could see how it comes off. Yeah. So anyway, especially if you're confused and you don't even really you think it's Freddy Krueger, and they're like, "Why did he come back with a trench coat?" <laughs> <laughs> It really is in that way. It is a wish.com Freddy. It's like you said, like it's a, it's a, it is, it is, a, it is a, it is a dollar store combination Freddy. It is. Yeah, okay. I can see it. Okay. You almost talked me. I almost feel like I don't like it now. <laughs> okay. Never in a million moons would a hospital <laughs> give a child an injection without express permission from a parent. Never. <laughs> let alone bamboozle them by like distracting the mom and then like injecting him behind her back. <laughs> Once again, people doing their job poorly. Yes. Yeah. That's another example <laughs> of that. Um, this is a bad in terms of like, I really wish to have seen this, but it turns out that um, in the original script, a, a nightmare sequence was established which took place involving the entity targeting Robert England specifically. Yes. Um, you So you read about this too. Yes, I uh, did. <laughs> in the dream, England was to be seen in a giant spider web and uh, the entity would take on this spider version of Freddy who would proceed to like cocoon him. Um, and then England then wakes up in like a cold sweat. And the next time he's mentioned, uh, Wes Craven is telling... Uh, Heather that Robert has disappeared um, I first of all that's fucking awesome like I would have loved to have seen whatever that would have looked like but I get why they didn't do it because Craven ultimately cut it because it didn't fit the vibe of the movie to have I, I, I actually I agree with the, the reasoning because why would you have the entity I mean I guess the, the mental gymnastics you'd have to go through was the entity is so obsessed with Freddy Krueger in in the storytelling that has happened thus far that he wants to emulate him in a like elaborate death where Freddy takes on a uh, a different you know <laughs> a different creature of sorts. Yeah, but I get why you know this this movie is more straightforward. It does it really doesn't have time for quippy one liners and and silly deaths. So. Right. But it's in my bad because I still would have loved to see that on like a it got cut from the script. So like it's not even like a cutting room floor thing where I could have seen it in a deleted scene. That would have been really yeah, cool. It just never happened. And can you, I mean, can you imagine? Because unless which I feel like they would have leaned into CGI with that shit, too. Let's say theoretically they do do a practical effects version of that. That would have been a lot of money dumped into something to just a lot, cut a, out lot a lot, a lot for that yeah. for that idea. But. Anyways, that's all the bad I have. I have a couple questions, but I want to hear more of your bad. I don't really have any other bads other oh. than that. So, okay, good. Well, um, let's move I, on. To, well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I do have, I guess it could be a bad, but it's more of a question. Just a, a, a weird, uh, dramatic choice. Anyways, but go on. Well, I was going to say, let's just move into questionable. So if you wanted to yeah. form it, uh, formulate it in the form of a question, now's the time.
Are you all right? Good. Oh, are you okay? my God. Huh? Are you sure? Does anything hurt? Dylan, are you all right? Yeah, so I feel like it was an interesting scoring choice to put that very dramatic Wagnerian opera type of music to when Dylan is on the rocket reaching yeah. for the sky. Yeah, <laughs> it was very, 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 you know, pompous. Did it really need that much dramaticism to it? Well, no, I I agree. But I guess when a child's death is in the balance, you know, it is sure. a heavy thing. But it, it, I don't think it that very, specific I choice like it was very, very heavy handed. For that yeah, I, you know, he's also playing with this idea of like how kids conceptualize death and yeah. like, Daddy, am I closer to heaven? <laughs> <laughs> Take me, Daddy. Uh, yeah. Dylan Rocket. <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> I love Dylan Rocket. Everyone <laughs> plays themselves in this. Why was Lynn Shay brought back to play a nurse? <laughs> it's so strange. Bob Shay, every Bob single person in this plays themselves, except Bob, for Lynn Shay. Yeah, Bob Shay was like, I don't know where you're gonna put her. Just put my sister back in. Bring her back as Lynn Shay. <laughs> <laughs> so strange so weird yeah but that's the thing though she never yeah but she also she never had any role of consequence she's the teacher in the, in the first one the teacher I get in the it. first one with well, you know whether they, <laughs> they're not gonna bring her back as you know oh the lady that played the teacher in the first one i'm not saying bring her back with any consequence but when you have brad at the funeral then just have her at the funeral with standing next to tuesday or whatever you could have a panning shot where she's like not even in the scene yeah, but I guess also it's because Lynn Shay is in many ways a quintessential character actor. So just bring her back as playing a character. What fucks it up for me, though, is that. So is that Lynn Shay playing a nurse? <laughs> I, we all know who Lynn Shay is. So if this is if this movie is super meta and you're breaking the fourth wall, it's so it's a strange choice to then bring back an actor who's playing a role. You know what I mean? When I, when all the other actors are playing themselves. Yeah, that's the, that's the biggest question to me i don't know she has to play know. herself if you're gonna bring her back yeah sure the only other question i had was at one point john saxon offhandedly mentions that sonny bono uh, had a stalker which begs the question who the fuck is stalking sonny bono other than <laughs> <laughs> other than like trees on a on a slope who's oh damn hitting trees like sonny bono <laughs> <laughs> my go-to like be be as offensive as possible jokes when i was a when i was a kid was either sunny bono tree uh, skiing jokes or just terry shivo jokes yeah <laughs> those are good i i'm i love the eric clapton uh diss jokes too because he actually deserves it whereas terry shivo doesn't deserve shit no. and uh i guess sunny bono doesn't either Sonny Bono didn't seem like overall he was a bad guy. I feel like he was pretty innocuous as a person. So, you know, whatever. I guess it's somewhat of a very uh, low totem, tragic celebrity death. (laughs) And it just it does go to prove that, like, I guess anybody can have a stalker. That's anybody. That's anybody. What other questions do you have? I don't have any others. Well, then we wrapped this up nicely, so let's take a break, 
and we'll be back for Freddy versus Jason. Leak the lizard. Wow. Leak my Abe snake. Oh my God. Had to throw another shrimp on the Bobby. I intentionally did that as bad as possible. Just before you say anything. Can you say that on television? (laughs) All I have to say. (laughs) So we're back and we're uh, finishing up this, uh, this series with our final movie in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. We're in the, we're in the home stretch here, buddy. Um, this is it. And then after we're done with this, I won't have to see you or talk to you for, what, five months? Thank fucking God. That'll be the <laughs> best five months of my life. <laughs> so, Freddy versus Jason, directed by Ronnie Yu, who had a, a just a long history of Hong Kong action movies up <laughs> until he segued into uh, American horror for some reason. Um, with yeah. Bride of Chucky first. And, and then this uh, was released in 2003. It grossed over $116 million on a $30 million budget, making it the highest grossing film in both series. Holy moly. When I read those numbers, I was like, that's fucking insane. <laughs> Not surprising, though. Um, it was long anticipated. Uh, yeah. And... Th- I, I fondly look back on this because in 2003, I was a junior in high school. So that's like prime Freddy versus Jason uh, age. Be like this, this fucking rules. Just like dick deep into horror at that point and being like, okay, this is like 
the Avengers Infinity Wars of my fucking lifetime, basically. Um, and it also marks the, which we didn't know then, but uh, the final appearance of Robert England as, as Freddy Krueger. So, and it still stands like he never, never donned the sweater again. That was um, it. But yeah, what, what's your experience with, um, you know, so be, being 2003, I'd probably, you know, watched all the other Nightmare on Elm Streets on DVD, but this is the first one I was able to experience you know, as it came out. So it's special to me in that way, but it's also a crossover series. So it's a, it's a little different, but uh, let me, let me put myself in Adam's shoes back in 2003 when this came out. So I, I have a couple interesting things to say about this. One will definitely blow your mind. So first one, I actually kind of looked back and Ronnie use uh, filmography when I was, you know, doing notes about this. <laughs> And some of his Hong Kong cinema legit looks sick as fuck. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to have to go back and give this guy his back catalog. Same. More of a, uh, you know, a, you know, more of a viewing because I was like, I'm pretty stoked on some of the, these movies. <clears throat> the second thing, this is the first time I've ever watched this. <laughs> For this, for the purposes of us discussing this. This is huge news. I actually just watched it before we recorded today because I've been so busy. Um, wow. And, I'm and getting it, unmitigated 2021, Adam. Um, that, that's wild. Yeah, there's no baggage associated with this at all. So this is why. For a few reasons, this is I, I, I'm literally blown away. I, I, I know, cannot, I, I can't you, fucking I, believe it because it you would seemed think so seminal to me. Like, oh, the the two greatest, you know, uh, horror icons in the same movie. Like to me, it was like a no fucking brainer. So I, that's shocking. Wow. So this is why I've always thought the mashup, modern crossover mashup idea was fucking corny as fuck. Mm-hmm. Never been on board with it. Don't give a fuck about aliens versus predators. Don't give a fuck about any of this shit. Also came out during the period of what I consider the the dark ages of modern horror. It's uh, it's a graveyard. Early two thousands is bad. A fucking early two thousands like nine eleven was just bad music, bad movies, bad culture. Bad. It was just bad, bad, bad <laughs> across yeah. the fucking board. Yeah, this is this is the the shit ditch of American pop culture right here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I didn't watch a lot of horror coming out during this time. I remember I would go to movies once in a while that and see horror like I was actively going to theaters and watching movies and watching movies on my own like I always do during this period but horror didn't give a fuck about anything coming out during this period so in a lot of ways I just was like whatever I don't care if this has any connection to my interests if it has any connection to my past my childhood don't care so never watched it this is the very first time i've watched it so there you go it's interesting you say that because given the landscape um 
you know, I do remember going to see like the awful grudge remake um, and seeing like the, the, I think perfectly serviceable and actually frankly good ring remake um, with Naomi Watts. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't mind that either. So yes, there are some exceptions. I will say this, but go ahead. But I do remember like pivoting into using this time, this wasteland cinematic wasteland to pivot into more international affairs. The French horror new wave shit was like ramping up at this time. So yeah. like, I remember high tension came out the same year. Uh, actually I'm almost positive it came out 2003. So high tension comes out, you get martyrs, you get them, you get like this really great uh, push of, of French new wave horror shit that is like piggybacking off of the Japanese horror revival of the late nineties. And that is continuing on into the early two thousands as well. So I did take this time to, to go more international to seek out, you know, better, uh, horror. Yeah. I, I absolutely remember that. Um, so, so in that th- sense, you're not yes. wrong. yeah, I agree <laughs> that internationally cool shit going on, but on these shores, no way. We just couldn't figure it out. Yeah. We were yeah. fucking up. So, but, but this was the exception to the rule. Freddy versus Jason was the exception because I was promised a good time and I had a fucking great time. I remember having just a phenomenal time. And upon, I've rewatched this a bunch. Um, I still love it. I, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, Cause it's really hard to do a crossover uh, and give everybody you know, equal, equal playing field time. Um, and I think they do it well, but I don't want to talk too much about it. Um, I'd rather just get into it unless you have any other finer details. I will just say this going into it. I went away pleasantly surprised. I, I, (laughs) my whole Anthony Bourdain theory is being just completely squashed. Maybe we're both the guy Fieri of horror. I wouldn't no. go that. I wouldn't go that far. I'm Guy no. Fieri. You're more. I don't. You're like Bobby Flay or something. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now come on. Don't take. Don't take this away from me. Now, I'm just saying that <laughs> I liked it better than I thought I would. So that being said, yes. Shall let's we? Get, let's get into the good, the bad, and the questionable. All right. There we go. Welcome to my world. I should warn you, princess. The first time tends to get a little... The good. Messy. Lots of death. Like a... Like a phantasmagoria of death. (laughs) Like, it is ridiculous. We were just talking about body counts earlier. It was hard to even, like... Because I, with litigating the deaths, it was hard to, to keep up um, with it. Just a ton. So, uh, you know, not to be a caveman about it, but lots of good death. Like, there was just lots of really cool fucking death scenes. And they really ramp it the fuck up because, you know, you have two prominent horror icons. So I guess you would get double the deaths in that equation. And they... Uh, that did happen. Um, But also more so speaking to the movie, this is a great balance between Freddy and Jason. It doesn't feel like a nightmare on Elm street movie or a Friday the 13th movie 
but rather a completely separate entity upon itself. Um, and I think they did a good job of balancing it um, and not giving one guy more screen time than the other. Um, you know, I, I think it's well balanced. Yeah. So as we should expect from something as, as, as grandiose of a project as this goes into being absolutely completely fully leans into and owns the ridiculousness of the concept to great aplomb. It's like we talk about how Rennie Harlan being a foreign director utilizes his outside perspective on American culture to enhance what he touches by, you know, just exploding the campy ridiculousness of what he's dealing with. So we have Ronnie, you also a foreign director doing this. And I will say that they are in this pantheon along with Verhoeven, because I was just watching um, a show about RoboCop last night about how these three guys have taken what they view as American culture and its absurdity mm-hmm. and have been able to deliver it onto the screen in a way that makes it enjoyable with its ridiculousness. So, yes, absolutely. That's We've what talked I, about that before. Like someone's perception of American culture and then shooting a film through that lens is different than our own idea of our cultural landscape. It's almost more interesting to see someone watching our cultural landscape from the periphery and then, you know, interpreting it as they see, um, which is what we get with with all of the direct with Ronnie Yu, with Rennie Harlan, with Paul Verhoeven. We're, we're almost getting like a you know, they're putting their uh, international lens on what they think American culture kind of looks like. And you definitely get Roddy Yu's perspective of what he thinks of uh, the youth, American youth in 2003. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, So right from the get go, we have, of course, we have, you know, doing like this kind of like introduction or reintroduction of Freddy Krueger's character and, you know, given a, a real quick broad stroke. Let's of talk about that. What- I love that montage. I, I think it's a great, right. uh, it's a fucking fantastic opening montage. Right. Yeah. I really like that a lot. I like the intro- reintroduction of Freddy and what his, what I mean, been up, what, have you, what have you been up to lately? Is what basically been up to? what we've all been wondering. Yeah. Right. And so he feels like he needs to make a comeback, even though it's through this completely batshit kind of premise. Yeah. But yeah. So I like that. And when it pivots into reintroducing Jason, how immediately what we have is, leaning into the idea of the the sexuality of that series and how you have this woman immediately on screen with giant knockers. <laughs> like, what, five minutes into the fucking movie. Yeah, so you get the gratuitous nudity of Friday the 13th with, like, the more cerebral... Uh, applications of of nightmare on elm street that that, right i love the dichotomy of you get both movies in this it's great right yeah Yeah. so that's that's fantastic even though again 
I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the idea of <laughs> Freddy resurrecting Jason to implant or I guess develop the idea of Freddy's existence within the minds of the teenagers. Yeah. That it? Yeah. So this harkens back to, cause this is how long this has been in the making. This harkens back to the very end of Jason goes to hell, which is uh, 1993. So we're talking about 10 years previous. Yeah. At the end, very end of Jason goes to hell. Um, Freddie's hand come, right. glove comes out of the ground and sure. grabs the Jason mask and drags it under. So, right. so it's it's set. It was set up in that movie, that finale. The idea of they planted what, the seed, right? Because um, they've been wanting to do this for a while, right? Um, so yeah, the premise, which I actually like, is that basically Freddie meets Jason in hell. Um, like he's, he says something in the beginning, like I met someone just as fucked up as I am or something like to that effect. <laughs> uh, he meets Jason and Springwood has taken this like don't ask, don't tell policy on Freddie to get rid of him. So he is thou who shall not be named. And yeah. so because he is out of their thoughts, children are starting to forget him. He needs to bring Jason into this to... Uh, gain strength and and to revitalize himself. So it's a it's a kind of partnership based on you know dual interest, which is just carnage. Right, but I still kind of don't understand how Jason would be the one that would bring about the idea of Freddy into the minds of the teenagers. Because since Jason is killing in Springwood, and this is this is talked yeah, okay. about in the movie, yes. you're right. Okay, thank his you. His murders are being con- uh, attributed Con- to, to, to Freddy. Freddy. Yes, thank you. But you're right, but uh, you know, incorrectly so, obviously. Yeah. So it's like a right. Okay. Now, thank you. It's well, considered. I don't, you know, uh, if this is your first time fucking seeing it. It's a lot to take in. I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so he's considered a copycat killer. Yes. Thank you. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. There we go. I but knew I like that, that but I, it didn't yeah, I like that premise though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So in that way, it does. It does. It does hold up. Good. Okay. 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 Um, this is a, a good of mine, but very rarely, and I, I just thought about this because this character made me think about this. Very rarely are are characters in. I'm going to keep it Nightmare on Elm Street specific since that's what we've been talking about this entire time. Very rarely are characters in in this franchise the kind that you want so badly to be killed. Like, there's actually oh, not yeah. any Nightmare on Elm Street character where I'm like, I so badly want this person to be killed. And Trey is like, is that guy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like, the bad, abusive, <laughs> shitty fucking boyfriend um, trope. And he gets just he gets got early and violently. And it's so cathartic because he gives in terms of performance the best five minutes of shittiness that you could possibly because you got to pack in a lot of shitty qualities to want to be fucking murdered by by the viewing public. And his death is is very satisfying. Yeah, it's a really good kill. I put in my notes, cool bro kill number one, right off the yeah, top. Yeah, right off right off the fucking top. And well, and, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, and that ties into 
what I was going to discuss as far as this particular era of movies and horror has a particular brand of shitty, basic, bro, teenager shitheads. It's so it's so iconic to that era. Yeah, I like frat culture like peaked here. Like it's yeah. very like uh beer pong and and, and date rape. <laughs> like that like that's like the <laughs> overall beer pong. Yeah, yeah. Like that all of that shit like in one shitty ball of culture kind of culminates here. Yeah. Yeah, and in that sense, I feel like they really did nail even now that I think about it. I'm just having a thought now. They really did nail the Midwest bro shithead normally kind of thing more so than in in any of the other installments because in the other installments, it's this half-ass lazy way of representing Midwest teens in what is clearly California. Like, they're Californian teens yeah yeah, yeah. they're trying to shoehorn into being midwest ohio teens and they're not at all they're not convincing at all whereas this is convincingly midwest shithead teenagers to me (laughs) and ronnie like for ronnie you to to get that it's it's particularly crazy like he nails it he does (laughs) it's so funny it's very strange (laughs) other like ancillary characters that i absolutely love are the stoners uh that uh meet jason in the cornfield um one of them says something to the effect of like hey jethro this is a rave not a halloween party why don't you go find a pig to fuck (laughs) which is so that dude i don't know if you had this thought but to me yeah that guy immediately conjured franklin Yes, he did have Franklin. Franklin went through, a, you know, an intense rehab process and learned to walk again. Uh, and But he used his newfound powers to just be like a stoner idiot cornfield dickhead. Like. Jock, jock bro, Franklin, Seth Putnam. He's like <laughs> Seth Putnam, Franklin, fucking, uh, yeah, shit baby there. And I think such Ronnie, you does such a good job of packing in, like packing in a very small, limited performance, but getting the most out of it and then being like, okay, I can't wait for these two idiot stoners to get it like and they get it like immediately, just like um, just like how Trey gets it gives gives a abusive boyfriend like he gets it immediately. People that are shitty in this universe are dealt they, with swiftly. They get it. Yeah, and I don't know how much that's attributable to... I l- literally just watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it wasn't even like... I wasn't even intending to. I was just going through Shudder. And if you have Shudder, they have... Essentially, it's called Shudder TV, where on the home screen, they have ongoing streaming movies at the moment, like in real time. And I just clicked on... Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it was already kind of like about like thir- uh, a third into the movie. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to ride this out because I love this movie and I hadn't watched it, you know, in a few months or whatever, because I watch it pretty frequently. But so that ha- I had that thought that I was like, oh, this guy totally reminds me of Franklin. But I think I would have that had that thought regardless of whether I watched it uh, because he physically Massacre. looks like him. 
Yeah, like, he has the same hairstyle and everything. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a good call. But yeah, so speaking of people getting what they have coming to them, the rapey glow stick guy getting impaled and pitched into the air is so fucking tight. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. What did I put down for the only part about that is that Gib dies. Like that's the only that's the. <laughs> Like, you know, instead of uh, Jason being uh, a champion of date rape, like, you know, of, yeah. of, of opposing date rape, uh, he kills both of them right. uh, um, in the process. But what did I put down for for that? Because I did put that I did put that down. I, I, I didn't know how to describe um, <laughs> the the shish kebab and gib and the and the date rape guy, the, the rapey the, glow the stick guy. Yeah, I, I do love that scene. I can't even find where where I put it down. But yeah, I, I love this is continuing in the vein of like people that are getting got. Um, I said something about like him being like the, the second Aphex twin or some shit. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> seeing glow stick guy get it was great. Um, you know, I really, really like this version of Freddy as, as well. I think this is actually one of the gnarlier physically represented Freddy's. His teeth in this are are so gross like the yeah they're all like uh um, shaved down shaved down to a uh, yeah, yeah yeah to a pointed edge uh, yeah the, he's got really gnarly like rat-like sharp teeth he, he's yeah. very rat-like in this i love yeah it. he's he's really gross on this and considering that this was you know watching this off of just watching the new nightmare where i was kind of lukewarm about that representation of freddy Despite our, you know, our having our discussion as, yeah, you know, him being more of an uncanny valley, Freddie. Yeah. To me, this was this was a throwback to what I feel is like the best representation of Freddie in terms of makeup effects will always be the first one to me because he's the grossest in that one where he you can he, you can tell his skin just looks very like pustuly and pussy and like you know oozing. I feel like this was a good uh, a good you know readaptation of of the look so especially considering that as they go along they have to cake more of that shit onto robert england's face because he's getting older right so yeah considering that but also on the flip side of this i think jason looks great in yes. this jason also <laughs> looks really cool looks Jason's really gnarly really really cool in this really cool looking one of the well, best jason adaptations that we've seen yeah, and the fact that they they had an actor that was slightly taller than Kane Hodder, so he looks even more imposing and, menis- and menacing. Never understood one. the Kane Hodder stuff. Like, I don't know why you would book this like five foot two midget to like. <laughs> it's so strange. Kane Hodder is like six six foot two. Whatever, he's a midget compared to <laughs> what you need for this role. I've seen him in person, and I feel like I'm taller than that guy. There's no way he's six two. Like I mean, six two really shoes. isn't that tall. I'm five nine, five ten. So, and I'm not tall at all. So he's just got a couple inches over me. <laughs> but yes, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, you need. Uh, how hard is it to just book like a, a WWE wrestler for the shit? Yeah, or uh, Dikembe Mutombo or something. Have him play Jason. <laughs> but not <laughs> now we're on the opposite end. Like that's too tall towards like <laughs> lanky and like frail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the D-Wing coma patient set is so nightmarish and great. Like I, I love that. 
that set design. It's one of the cooler ones in the movie. Yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting swerve. I, I thought that was pretty cool, too. And speaking of set design in general, when Lori is entering the Camp Crystal Lake dream world, um, I love her like running around Camp Crystal Lake and it's got this real hazy kind of dreamlike quality to it. And all the kids are bullying Jason and it leads to what one of my favorite Freddie lines in the movie, which uh, uh, I can't help it if the bitch is dead on her feet. I love that that, that line <laughs> yeah. and, and the nightmarish quality of him holding like a, a corpse, like a naked corpse is that that whole vision, because up to that point, everything is is. Um, it's like uh, watching traffic or whatever. Like everything is in this blue haze or red haze. There's red hues and blue hues based on yeah. who you're, you know, blue for Jason, red for Freddie. It's, it's a little too on the head because the blue being like Jason's aversion to obviously being drowned to, and, to and water, red yeah. being like fire for Freddie. But it lightens the movie up because you're finally getting natural fucking light into your retinas. And it, and it, it maybe that's why it stands out so much, but I, I love that sequence so much. So, so much. It looks just great. Yeah, it looks great. I also have some questions uh, regarding the history of Jason uh, that I had when that whole sequence came up, but we'll get to that eventually. Okay. Um, but in terms of set design, also, I, I thought the the weird, nightmarish, uh, hellish Jason shack was kind of cool mm-hmm. where he just walks up and he's like, there's just like, you know, strewn parts of corpses and decapitated heads in the yard. Mm-hmm. And then he goes inside and then there's like a whole doorway to all the bodies floating in the water. I thought that was kind of cool. Also, yeah. Yeah, I liked it I too. Like that. We should litigate the bloated deaths in this because it's going to take us a minute to get through all of it. Okay. Okay, in order. Trey is macheted and, and folded in half by yeah. Jason. Right. Blake's dad is decapitated, and then Blake is also macheted by Jason. Um,. Gib and her cyberpunk Aphex twin rapist. <laughs> well, that's where I put it. <laughs> Gib and her cyberpunk Aphex twin rapist are macheted together. And then the Aphex twin guy is like uh, catapulted through the cornfield. <laughs> javelined into the air. Yeah, yeah. Javelined. Very good. The two stoners, uh, one gets his neck broken. The other one is gored by a flaming machete. Um, that's super sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so far, Jason has all of the deaths. Mm-hmm. A bunch of background characters get macheted at the at the cornfield grave by Jason. Mark is the first Freddy kill. Um, and Freddy comes in the form of his brother who committed suicide. And Mark has a rather unremarkable death in terms of like Freddy standards. But, uh, you know, he, he does etch Freddy's back into his chest, which looks really cool. No, it's like on his the, back. On his back. His back. It's, it's, I thought that was a funny little nod there. Freddy, like, oh, it's yeah. Freddy's back on his back. On his back. In like <laughs> the Fight Club font. Like it was very Fight Club. <laughs> right? Fight Club soap font. Um, <laughs> Freeberg, which we'll get to him, uh, who's like discount barrel. Uh, Jay. Jay. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Just like the Absolutely. worst uh, the worst incarnation of Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. 
He's possessed by Freddy and then cut in half by Jason. So I guess that kill goes to Jason. Uh, Deputy Stubbs is electrocuted by Jason. Yeah. Lederman dies of his wounds inflicted by Jason, we are to assume. He bleeds out, uh, sitting up against the tree. And then Kia gets just absolutely annihilated by Jason. So... I was shocked when I was doing this. I guess technically Freddy only has the one kill. (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't even think about it. I mean, and I guess that's also just more of, you know, keeping true to the ideas of the movies, the the. The, yeah, uh, that's interesting because we just you know, mentioned that earlier about how well Friday the Thirteenth is like a, a goddamn killing field comparatively. So, yeah, it did it did kind of the numbers kind of uh, hash out that way. Wait now, but I guess I'm misremembering though. The one lady, the Destiny's Child lady, I thought she got killed by Freddy. Does she get killed by Freddy? I thought she. Pretty, um, pretty sure thought, she gets killed by Freddy. No, well, it's one of those things where it's like hard to remember because they like work together so often. Um, yeah. Okay, you might re- because no, it's, it says Freddie and J- if it, it says Freddie and Jason fight throughout the campgrounds during which Jason kills Kia. Okay, I thought it was Freddie because that's I don't. I, Technically, this is not a bad or not a good. It's a bad, but I did put nice because I like this uh, kind of uh, bygone era uh, uh, thing where she she calls him a faggot. So she's trying to emasculate Freddy. I did have that in my... (laughs) I have it in my bad because I don't like... I don't like the Kia character and no, she sucks. Um, and I don't like Kelly Rowland. So like, right. it, it, yeah, but, but yeah, we had the one, two punch though of the racism and the homophobia where Freddie says, how oh, yeah. sweet dark meat, dark meat, <laughs> which is followed up by her calling him a faggot to emasculate him. A faggot in a Christmas sweater. Yeah. A faggot in a Christmas sweater. So that's why I thought that he killed her because he retaliates. But I guess I was wrong. You remembering it correctly in terms of like, she's in inter- uh, She's like given the, given him the business right but throughout this movie. Freddie's like almost in more of like a taunting capacity and like riding Jason's like carnage coattails. Like he's letting Jason right. kind of have his, yes. his bit of fun. He's the master to to Jason's blaster for sure. Yes. Yeah. He's, but, he's, you know, he, do, he does get frustrated. Like when Gib dies, Gib was on the hook and Freddie had her in the locker and was ready to kill her. And, but then Jason, Jason kills her. So he does get like the, the, the penis envy equivalent of, of murder envy. Like, like right. he's he like, gets mur- save mur- some mur- for me over here. Right. He gets murder blue balls for sure. Murder blue balls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so those are all the deaths. What, which one was your, uh, which one was your favorite? 
they're all Jason deaths, basically. So, like, we only have the one Freddy death. I, I mean, Apex Twin Rape Man getting javelins pretty good. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know, dude. That first death is pretty sick where the dude gets folded in half. Yeah, because then they show the bottom of the bed and it's just like entrails soaking up like like the mattress and shit, like as the machete's going through the uh, top through the bottom. So that, yeah, that one's pretty fucking sick. I would, I would but, have to agree. But then do we delegate also Jason and Freddy's death? I guess because technically they don't die. It's implied that they die and then they come back at the end for leaving yeah, it open it, the possibility of a sequel, which never happened. You know, it's not like um, New Nightmare where Freddy has a death. Um, it, yeah. You know, they're both seen gallivanting around at the end. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Palling it up. Palling it up like the best, <laughs> the besties that they are. Yeah, they are the... The, the Paris Hilton and, and Nicole Richie of, of horror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what so other good, good do we have to litigate here outside of the, the murdering? So I don't know if you picked this up, but Mark's older brother, yeah. that actor, yeah. did you yeah, recognize yeah. him? Well from, well, from what? Well, you, I you, particularly recognize him because I had to go through his filmography and be like, man, there's a specific thing I know this dude from. But that's Scut Farkas from A Christmas Story. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that cracked me up when I figured that out. <laughs> yeah. He. Well, I guess he'll always be Scott Farkas forever. Yeah. Um, so I guess me saying from what uh, is it's not like he's from anything else, but he, he does have a bunch is, of other shit. So. Sure. But he is specifically he will always be Scott Farkas. Yeah. 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 Um, I do. I kind of do like the pinballing Jason <laughs> through the uh, boiler room scene. So I have there's two fights in this. There's the, the fight that happens in the dream world. Right. Um, I don't have that in my good, but I do have the second fight, which is at Camp Crystal Lake, um, which is set to like Stone Sour or Trivium or some yeah, fucking really stupid shit. Sucks. Um, but you know, music aside, it I love I I love the second fight more than the first. Um, yeah. And to borrow a wrestling term, it has a lot of fun spots in it, like the rebar going through Jason and shit. And then Freddie doing like the torpedo on the air tanks and all the construction site shit being thrown around it. I love the setting more. And, and I love it. It has a wrestling professional wrestling feel to it. Like the back and forth of it. Uh, yeah. I, I love the spots in that second fight in particular. Yeah. No, I agree. Of the of the two big battles there at the end, I think this, this, this second one, the final one, what it leads up to is the best of the two. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about this, but the last image of Jason walking out of the lake with Freddie's head is so sick. Like I remember being so stoked that it ended on that being like, all right, well, fuck. Yeah. What a Friday night I've been having. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well I like there was also the throwback to the to Tina's body bag uh, death mm, in the first mm-hmm. one with the eels and snakes at the bottom of, of Mark's feet in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. So there's that, that little little throwback to that. That's a good one. Yeah. There's a uh, very brief Robert Shea cameo. 
Oh, what what is, I didn't I think I missed it. He's in the high school. Oh, cool. I didn't yeah, yeah. I didn't It's very brief. He doesn't have any lines. You just see him and then he's gone. So, I meant to uh, bring this up. Um my friend Tim who listens to the show, he uh he messaged me and we were talking back and forth and he's been loving these episodes so far, but he mentioned, and, uh, I was like, I'm not sure Adam knew this. Did you know we caught, we, I don't know if we brought this up. I don't, I didn't think we did. Um, but Robert Shea is in Freddy's revenge as one of the bartenders in the leather. Oh, bar. Yeah, he is. And we didn't bring that up. You're right. I was like, I got to tell Adam because he was like, did you know that Robert Shea is is one of the leather daddy bartenders? I was like, no, I did not. Yeah, 100%. He's the leather daddy bartender that serves Coach Schneider. That is crazy. Wow. Yeah, I I totally forgot to mention that. So thank you, Tim, for pointing that out. Yeah, thanks for listening and thanks for <laughs> thanks for adding adding to it. We can't catch everything. Um, what other good do you have? Because I'm I'm really ready to move on to the bad. I I really like this movie, but it's also like cotton candy. Like, uh, it's not good for me <laughs> to, no. to eat a lot of this. <laughs> no, this is junk food for sure. Um, yeah. There's a real quick little bit that I don't know if you caught when they are. Zooming into the news bit, the 11 o'clock news bit, and it says the network and it's KRGR, the Kruger network. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's a cool little thing. <laughs> so that's a fun little, little little Easter egg right there. A little tidbit. I love that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think we can move on. So bad. <laughs> all time bad soundtrack. Maybe the worst ever of all time. That's why I said hello 2000s. Here we go with the shitty new metal soundtracks and fucking movies. Just like with Freddy's Dead, we had the introduction of the shitty fucking 90s. Hodgepodge. We don't know where we want to go. Alternative. Fucking throw everything at the wall. Now we've got the even worse iteration of soundtracks with the abundance of new metal yeah so it's funny because if we if we talk about like the first four nightmare on Elm streets being like the metal nightmare on Elm right. streets this markedly is our transition into the new metal nightmare on Elm streets um this is the aj soprano of uh of horror absolutely just going through this fucking set this uh this soundtrack list il nino kill switch engage Spine shank. <laughs> what I, is I, what I is spine shank? I oh my saw God. that. I saw them in Fort Wayne. You've seen spine shank. I've seen spine shank. Were they yes, great? No, they're terrible. I, all that shit is garbage. So there is a club in Fort Wayne <laughs> that had a lot of mid tier, mid to upper tier metal shows called Pierre's. It was one of those multiplex bars where it's like you had the the country bar and the karaoke bar and the hip hop bar. And then there was the main room. And I saw a lot of good shows there, but I would just get free tickets to shows. And I'd be like, fuck it. I'll just go because I don't have anything better to do. Whatever. It'll be good for a laugh. So I saw some real shit bands there. Like I saw Spine Shank. I saw Buck Cherry. I saw Vince Neil solo, which I mm. walked out on. It was a free ticket. I was like, fuck this guy. I walked mm. out. Mm-mm. Il Nino, 
Yeah, dude. So Il, I El Nino. <laughs> I've seen I've seen those bands. You don't have to make like excuses as to why you <laughs> saw Spine Shank and bought their let's see, 2012 album Anger, Denial, and Acceptance. Yes, I was big fan. Sorry. Why at this point? Why do I have anything to hide? No, this is a safe like, place. <laughs> I've seen Hate Breed so many fucking times just because they're literally on tour all the time and played a lot of those shows. Also, don't give a fuck about Hate Breed. Seen them like eight times. Yeah, Hate Breed's on here. Obviously, Ugh. Slipknot, Power, Power Man, Five Thousand, Seven Dust, just Se- uh, Seether, Stone Sour. It it, uh, it runs uh, the gamut. Yeah, a who's who of garbage garbage music the bad garbage the, people the worst music. and it is it, it segues into my second bad which this movie does not it, it ages maybe the worst of any like and we're talking about like earlier nightmare on elm streets would which, which have like pronounced bad 80s stuff going on um this might have maybe have aged the worst in terms of like that new metal soundtrack this the all the the acting choices like Kelly Rowland specifically, I, I suppose, um, the hair and makeup, the costuming choices, the style of editing, the dependency yeah. on bad CGI like it is a product of its time. Absolutely. And here's the thing. And, you know, we can chalk this up to the fact that my formative years in a lot of ways were in the 80s. But I will always have a special place in my heart for the 80s. And and even the bad 80s is better than the 90s in this era. Aesthetically, in every way to me. Especially when it comes to horror. You know, bad 80s is always going to be superior to any other era of horror to me. So There was just so much, you know, it was oversaturation in a good way almost. Like... Um you know, there was just so much creativity going on. It was an explosion of specifically to horror. Like, yeah, everything was popping off. Right. And they had a cool down period in the nineties followed by, I, I, I think it segues nicely into the nineties. I I think the nineties is very underrated for horror. We just don't think of a lot of movies that came out in the time, but I think there's a lot of movies that just people have either forgotten about or just didn't get a lot of, didn't have a lot of legs. Um, oh, sure. And no, then, I agree. And then it transitions very into the graveyard of the early 2000s. So we, we don't get out of it until after the like the torture porn sh- bullshit in the, the, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah. No, I fully agree. Yeah. So, yes, big bad, big bad right there. <laughs> and we mentioned this, but Kelly Rowland sucks. Like, she's a bad actor. Um I can't separate her from Destiny's Child then or now. Um, so every scene with her takes me out of it. I'm like, it, it's the fucking second fiddle in Destiny's Child. Like, it, it, it's it's hard for me. Um, yeah, will, and she's, she drops a faggot bomb, too. So <laughs> that's not great. So uh, I will give I will give her this, though. I was reading how certain players in this movie kind of shun their role they they try and distance themselves from being a part of this but incidentally she actually embraced it she was like yeah whatever it was a success i i had fun like there's nothing for me to hide so that was 
good on her at least. Fucking budget Brittany Murphy here, Monica Kina, I guess. Totally. <laughs> we didn't even talk about her. Yeah, she totally has distanced herself and tried to wash her hands of her role in this because she thought the script was bad and she thought the movie was a piece of shit. But Homegirl from Destiny's Child was like cool with it. So I give her that at least. That is actually um that's really cool. I I uh I have more respect for, you know, well, her even taking this role is cool because it seems very like outside of her purview. So like her being in it um, is cool. But like we're also in the we're we're staunchly and our feet are concreted in the era of horror where they just had token R&B and rap artists in horror movies yeah. like Buster Rhymes who Buster Rhymes is, and is, uh, L. Cool the, J. Yeah. yeah which I will say is an opposite uh, instance of this whereas I think Buster Rhymes actually enhanced a really shitty movie <laughs> by being in it mm-hmm. and this lady didn't she didn't add anything to it yeah it's so. uh, <laughs> yeah um, it, it, I mentioned briefly this earlier but this movie becomes too dependent on CGI and, but it's also just a product of its time. Right. That's just what filmmaking was at this point. The Freeburg, I guess we can bring up Freeburg now. Uh, his possession scene. Oh my is gosh. An, is an all time bad. Like one of the worst scenes in any nightmare on Elm street or Friday the 13th movie. Like it's so, so poorly CGI'd. <laughs> Conceptually, yeah, I don't even have that big of a problem with it, but it's so bad. The the Freddy hookah worm thing, that bit. My God, you all should be so fucking embarrassed. You should and just be fucking ashamed like, of yourself. There's like a knockoff, like string cheese, like music like when he's <laughs> right like it's so stupid and bad like okay now cut to like the stoner getting high and like you know uh yeah like it, it's like the fucking alice in wonderland hookah caterpillar bullshit yeah. like yeah it, it's so so stupid that part that is this movie's equivalent to the mark death scene in five where you just yeah. really didn't land it. Real bad choice. Or even around. worse than that. It's, oh, it's worse. But I'm just yeah. saying, you know how like you can say yeah. like with maybe each installment there is the the death that does not land, you know, or lands the least well because they were trying to be too outlandish or whatever. Yeah. Or too on the nose. Like, oh, the stoner guy is going to be possessed by the hookah Freddy worm. What? Who the fuck wrote that? I do suppose that his death is actually cool. Like, he gets cut in half by Jason at the waist. But yeah, everything leading up to that is so fucking stupid. It's so bad. Super cringe, man. Yeah, and I I was going to say this, um, because this is a good that I forgot, but it'll tie into the whole CGI thing. There's definitely bad CGI choices, but there's also kind of a balance of some good practical effects strewn throughout this. I will say that I did like the fact that they chose to actually use a fire suit stunt guy scene for Jason at one point, as opposed to CGI flames, which... 
CGI flames and CGI blood are two of the, the worst abominations to ever be utilized in in modern film. Yeah, and it's it's uh, a, you know an easy application with Jason because we talked about Fat Fire Freddy. Fat Fire um, Freddy, yeah. It's it's harder to do that with Freddy because he's wearing less layers, but Jason right. almost looks like he's like wearing Kevlar, like as yeah. as part of his whole aesthetic. So yeah, I, I thought that was really cool too. Yeah, it, it works with Jason because of his stature. With Freddy, it's yeah, it's very hard to pull off. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. What um I have more bad, but I want to kick it to you. Um, what else do we have here? I mean those are the main ones, really. Well, we talked. Uh, what, what did we say? Bad policing. Uh, we got a bad plan. N- number. Oh, we have. Well, two things. Okay. So bad policing in the fact that, like, I don't know how two kids escape from a mental hospital and they show up all around town, but nobody is really that vested in bringing them back mm-hmm. to the hospital. Right. <laughs> that seems strange. So I'm going to chalk yeah. that up to bad policing, which is. Bad policing number, uh, however many episodes this is, is is how many bad policing there is. Every every movie where we have police, there's bad police because but police yes, are bad. Bad plan. I I wrote bad plan. I just if you're gonna tranquilize Lori, literally, yes. The plan to wake her up needs to be above shaking her shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Which goes back to six. It does go back to six. I thought about when in Freddy's you know I mean? dead, where they're like, well, you just, <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? Your contingency plan on waking somebody out after you've dosed them with a fucking tranquilizer. Not good. Not this good here worse, either. This is worse than Freddy's dead because. Oh, yeah. They're tranquilizing her and they don't even have like a like a what do you call like a shot of adrenaline or some yeah, shit and a, of like and the heart or whatever. Shot. Yeah. Like, like that's what they need. shit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They needed also, that. Just in general, the, the bad plan of dropping, you're going to drop Jason off at Crystal Lake and just let him lose. Oh, he's home base. Let him go. Then they can fight it off. All right. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know plan. if you noticed this. I was I was going to I was going to look this up and I didn't. But every other word out of Freddie's mouth is is bitch. It's bitch. And he's like the Jesse Pinkman of, <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> it, it's so strange. Like it's literally he ends. It's like his version of a of a period or an exclamation point in this movie. Like every fucking scene is something something bitch this yada yada bitch like it's so strange but i think that's also a product of 2003 was just people were calling people like bitch and faggot and you know all this fucking crazy shit that i'm glad has just been kind of eradicated from society or or at least to the point where like if you do say that out in public it's it's more uh it's more fucked up now than it was then. Like then it was just accepted. Yeah. It's just the, the overall new metal metalification juggaloification of everything at the time. Mushroom head had our society by the balls. I don't know why or how, but they did. They were more influential than any of the eight years of, uh, of W that we got. <laughs> yeah, man. 
for sure. What other bad do you have? This is a potential bad that didn't happen. I don't know. So we've, we've declared that we feel that uh, Ronnie, Ronnie, you did a, a pretty fantastic job. He had a uh, he had a tall order, and I think he he did more than serviceable. He, he pulled it off, and you know, to his credit, also, I think Bride of Chucky is a really good installment in that series. Um, what the, the hell later. is happening tonight? This is lovely. Hey, you know, again, I give credit where credits due. All right, it's, let's talk Chuck. I love. No, I'm, I'm going to pick Chuck for uh, next season, year, season three. Yeah. Next year, next year we'll 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 do our flicks over on on that. Maybe we'll see. Anyways, it's a long time till we get to that point. Um, this is a, a potential bad. Thankfully, we dodged this fucking bullet. Rob Zombie was offered to direct this, but he wanted to focus on his own singular piece of shit, House of a Thousand Corpses. I did not know that. At all, fuck that timeline. We get yeah, a lot of House bad of fucking timelines. Is the same year as this? Yeah. Wow. So thankfully, Wait, didn't get he, that. He turned it down. He turned it down so he could focus on his magnum opus. Wow. What would Rob Zombie's Freddy versus Jason look like? Uh, well, we would have had a lot of Sherry Moon. In it, what would screeching around? What would she play though? Would she, she play, play a, a high fucking Lori? Yeah, of course. It, he would have shoehorned her somehow into playing of the fucking lead role, the lead protagonist role, the final girl. Fuck him. Do you hear me? Fuck you. Oh, we got we got Adam triggered. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. So here's the thing. Once again, I will give credit where credits due. I would have rather in a million fucking years had him create House of a Thousand Corpses than direct this. Well, yes, because, well, we've talked about this before, but I actually like House of a Thousand Corpses. I know you do, and that's fine. I Um, understand its appeal. I'll put it that way. I understand its appeal, but go on. But yeah, at that time, I'm glad his quote-unquote talent was being allocated <laughs> elsewhere right so, so there we go so there is a potential bad i did not know did that well, unbelievable that you're yeah. bringing lots of great shit to the table okay so do we want to move on to questions let's move on to questions and we'll wrap this up why is kia so mean to linderman uh uh She's hell bent on making sure Lori ends up with like fucking Paul Bernardo. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> it's just like she wants him. She wants Lori to end up with a douchebag. Like, Linderman's harmless. It's it's not like Linderman's giving off major date rape Apex Twins vibes. No, I don't understand that either. And like, even in terms of. You know, if you're casting someone as the nerd, he's not even really a nerd. He's just like a shy, shy guy. He's just like a, you know, I don't understand it either. It's, um, it, it's, it's very perplexing. Um, this, uh, this question that I have, I actually did a bunch of mental gymnastics. <laughs> So my, the question that I'm posing and, and which in which that I and that I will answer 
is this supposed to be a continuation of Freddy's Dead? Is the question that I will pose. My answer is no. Um, and I actually think Freddy's Dead takes place canonically after Freddy versus Jason. Oh, for, interesting. For a number of reasons. Will and Mark being hospitalized because of their Freddy <laughs> dreams being one main reason. They were, you know, Will and Mark were hospitalized because of of them speaking of of Freddy. And so Freddy is in this timeline very much still a part of of the collective Springwood society. Yeah, and I think I know where you're going with this. So yes, I'm I'm on I'm on this ride with you. So go on. So that's the first reason. But also if you notice in the opening montage, there's nary a clip to be seen from Freddy's Dead. They actually add a scene from every other Nightmare on Elm Street franchise movie. But Freddy's Dead is not included on the opening montage. So that's interesting. Um, also, we're, we're supposed to think that like Freddy is trapped in hell where he meets Jason, which is alluded to at the end of Jason Goes to Hell and all this. And that um, there's a coordinated effort in Springwood between the police and Weston Hills to make people forget about Freddy which has kept him away for all these years, which is far from this narrative of Freddie having killed off all the children in Springwood and the right. parents being catatonic at this point. So right. all of this thing, all of these things cumulatively make me think that Freddie's dead takes place after this. And not to mention at the beginning of Freddie's dead, we're given like a, this is taking place long after dream child. Um, yeah. So, I, 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 buy, I would I buy that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I buy that, especially when you consider the idea, you know, that all the children were killed off, essentially. So, right. Yes. Right. So, if you're thinking of this in chronologically, I would think Freddy's Dead is, is takes place in some like fucking almost futuristic kind of capacity. <laughs> well, well, after New Metal has subsided. And then it's, we have a return to. <clears throat> Funk rock, Iggy Pop. Yes, yes. That, so yeah. it would basically be at this point in history where everybody's on the nuts of the '90s. Yes, yeah. The '90s nostalgia has been ramped up. Yeah, it takes place now. Freddy's Dead takes place now. Yeah, I buy that. Okay, I'm on that. Uh, uh, so here is my question, mm-hmm. and this goes uh, into the history and timeline of Jason. When they go into the flashback where Lori goes into the dream 50s flashback world and the kids are teasing young Jason, our poor young Jason, I had this thought because this was supposed to take place in the 50s. Now think about 50s era America and think about how um, repressed and willing that white especially white affluent suburban America, the links that they would go to repress and suppress any sort of indication of, I guess what would be considered um, unhygienic folks in the community, things that would give off the impression of things not quite being all right and perfect. Do you really think that they would let a child who has severe congenital disabilities and mutations and 
whatever is going on with Jason, do you think that really they would have let him run free amongst a, a group of seemingly normal children? Do you are think you, that that would happen? Are you implying that he would be like locked away? Yes, hundred percent. Facility. There's somewhere. no way that this kid would have just they now. That's that's something that would happen now. Yeah, you know. Yes, let's let the the child that is different, you know, acclimate and assimilate with all the other children. Then, fuck no. Would never even happen. We would never even had a, a scenario where Jason being considered a freak would have been bullied to the point of death. He would have never been allowed into the public. I agree because I think <laughs> on the on the historical timeline we're closer to like a elephant man narrative than we are like an autism speaks <laughs> narrative. Yes. So like yeah, I I think that Jason would he, have spent many a day uh, locked up in a facility. But also I think it would come down to behavioral issues on some level. Like yeah. if he just looks like that, um, maybe that's not enough to lock him away. He, he, but he wouldn't have, yeah, he I mean, wouldn't have been is, able to. But Pamela Voorhees, what's her, um, you know, what's her, what's her role at the camp? Is he, is she just his <laughs> Mother, or is she actually involved in the camp on some level? Because maybe that's why he's there as a as a favor to Pamela. I don't know. Well, and that's the thing. I they indicate in the first movie that yes, his mother is she's like a cook. She okay. actually work. She works the grounds. I thought she she's did, a- but I couldn't remember. So maybe you know. I, I think there's your there's your in that that's her how she gets her son. Sure. So, like, yes, he has to be there with his mother. Yeah. But I still feel like the camp coordinators would have been like, no way. You're not letting this fucking freak of nature here. That kid would have been in a circus sideshow, if anything. <laughs> but but this brings me to this idea that I always just kind of thought with Friday the 13th was that not necessarily that Jason was, you know, genetically, you know, at a disadvantage or was deformed at first because, you know, at the end of Friday the 13th, you see him come out of the water, of course, and he's clearly deformed. He's yeah. a, he's a he's a freak of nature. <laughs> My whole thought was sorry. I mean, OK, you know, not really, but yes, um, that he we're, was a we're going with the theme of the movie. Dark. Yes. Meat, faggot, right. Exactly. Re- like retard. Like, yeah. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on and on and on. Uh, my whole thought always was that he was a normal kid that got drowned and through being drowned and laying at the bottom of the lake, that's where he got deformed. No, I always thought of it as he was picked on specifically because he looked like that. Okay. Fair yeah. Enough. Well, but either way, there's, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it, but whatever. No, that's a good question. So I, go. I agree with you. Yes. Okay. I rest my case. Hypnosil is first introduced in Dream Warriors, uh, where it's considered an experimental drug. It still hasn't been approved by the FDA 20 years later? <laughs> it's some bad shit, man. Hypnosil can't catch a break. It can't get approved by the FDA in 20 years of marketing. 
and experimentation. Which you know is not the case because, man, the fucking Sacklers would have been all over that shit. <laughs> Purdue Pharma would have been like, yeah, let's fucking pump this into the public. Yeah, you're telling me Johnson & Johnson, <laughs> Eli Lilly, like no one's hopping on this shit uh, as a dream suppressant? Come on. That's that's far-fetched. Yeah. My other question is, how far is Camp Crystal Lake from Springwood? Because they take a Scooby van there. So are we to believe that <laughs> Camp Crystal Lake is a drive from Springwood? Uh, I don't think we – do we know where Camp Crystal Lake is supposed to be? We know that I, uh, Springwood's in Ohio. Right. I always assume that Camp Crystal Lake was in New England. That, yeah, it's it's it, well, um, it's it has New that York, feel. Yeah. It has that feel. I mean, I, I suppose depending on where in Ohio fictional Springwood is, that you could drive to uh, Camp Crystal Lake on the East Coast. Sure, like in let's say geographically, completely in theory, Springwood could have been on in the northeast corner. Yeah, if it's of the Ohio. northeast corner. You've, you've you've that's a pretty short drive. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. From Northeast Ohio to upstate New York is, I would say, about an eight to ten hour drive. Yeah, so that's feasible because they're like, you know, they're booking it overnight and they they have like the whole, I love the Kelly Rowland having to give mouth to mouth scene. That's, yeah. that's a real bit of gross business. Yeah, so they do a lot of shit in the van on the way up there and they have to keep tranking him, which they show. So, I mean, that, that checks out. There you go. Um, I had another question uh, related to Jason outside of the, the series. Um, did you ever think about that the Jason Voorhees uh, unmasked younger version, the, the 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 deformed unmasked version? Do you ever think that that was possible inspiration for Sloth from the Goonies? They look very similar. Uh, yeah, but had that... Had that version of him been put out there by the time Goonies came out? Yeah, like I think like so. you're saying the original, like hit the. <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting. It's just a thought. Food for thought. It is a food for thought. Lots of freaks in the eighties. Freaks and geeks, man. We had a big freak Check obsession. Out this fucking guy. Well, hey, Jethro. This is a rave, not a Halloween party. Why don't you go find yourself a pig to fuck? Yeah, <laughs> invite only corn poke and you weren't invited. Son of well, a this, this is how I party is I, I drink a lot of caffeine and, and just. And then I, I talk about movies and watch movies. That's how I party. It's similar to how I party. Only I slowly drink a large amount of alcohol over the course of seven hours and do the same thing. I watch movies. Very similar. Anyways. Okay. So we had that conjecture about Jason being related to Sloth. That's where I ended. Do we I have anything else? The Mari Povich uh, paternity test says they're related. <laughs> At the I, I agree. No, I don't have any more questions. Um I'm pleasantly surprised by your reaction to both of these. Um, it, you know, I, especially Freddy versus Jason. I thought maybe New Nightmare would have been something that you were on board with because uh, it's very, it's a, it's a very Craven signature kind of film. I did not think you would enjoy this one at all. So to to hear that you found any enjoyment, let alone walked away being like, "Well, that fucking kind of ruled." 
that's kind of how I feel. Like it's just really fun. It's it's just a it's a fucking it's the walking taco of horror movies. Like it's not great. <laughs> it's not good for you. But it's it's a bunch of trash in a bag, and you're gonna fucking slop it up like the poor pig that you are. Which I was I surprised myself too, honestly. But that's the thing. You know, I've I've said time and time again, I will inhale garbage of this variety from different eras. 70s, 60s, 80s, just gobble it up. Uh, there's something about you know, just the aesthetic and the way more modern contemporary of the past 25 years or so, the way it's shot, especially of this era, that just really turns me off. There's, you know, there's a lot that can be said about the grain of the film and the, the, the degradation of, you know, the physical properties of film from certain eras that adds a nuanced quality to it that just isn't the same when you get into more modern contemporary digital forms of, you know, shooting things and computer generated, uh, computer generated representations of things that just puts a black mark and a taint on things that I just cannot get over a lot of times. So that's why, you know, and, but and certainly mushroom head doesn't help. <laughs> Yes, the the uh, so I get it. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, and that's another thing, too. The, the music of the time, there was this there was a zeitgeist of that era that really makes it a particularly bad part of history yeah. in terms of culture and the arts. And the thing is, I feel like and this is why I can't say that it's all attributable to modern culture and modern things in general, because I feel like we've come out the other end of it. And there's a lot about movies and music now that's great. There's we've come back around to what I feel like is quality representations and manifestations of these things. Because yeah, I, agree. What, I think what happened was, which it's funny because it's in spite of the fact that in terms of, are like especially American culture and our society things have are getting markedly worse. It's like in spite of the fact that in in terms of material representations of things and and you know quality of living, things culturally have gotten better. Um, when it comes to things that I like, a lot of really great music out there. There's a lot of really good newer horror movies. I wouldn't say that it's in uh, quite the abundance of, say, of the 80s, but I can certainly find more things I enjoy that are coming out now than during this period. Yes. The, when this movie this came is, out. This is a, a wasteland, a true, a true cinematic wasteland. Um, so, like, like, I can take a movie like Terrifier which I didn't particularly like, but it can and at least appreciate it more and enjoy it than I did most of the movies that would have came out during this era. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just feel like a lot of people that are engaged in creative activities that get any sort of notice, they figured out a way to find the right ingredients. They found the formula to make things consistently good. You know? 
Yeah, that's and I don't think I'm we're so to. entrenched in our modern society that things will age as poorly as they did then. I think things will age a lot, a lot more appropriately. Um, it's hard to say when you're in the now how things will age, but boy, howdy, the first boy howdy of the episode. You would think that um, back then it was it's hard to think like what could go wrong with just having a a proverbial Ozfest lineup for the soundtrack? <laughs> like like I know even then back then they had to be like this might age a little poorly, but we're gonna do it anyway. So yeah, I think we're in a better place now. Um, and and it, but I was pleasantly surprised with with your take. On both on uh, on both New Nightmare and Freddy vs Jason, but also, you know, I want to thank everyone for listening to these uh, Flixtober episodes. There are our favorite things to do, uh, you know, outside of the the seasonal episodes that we do. We look forward to it every year. So, thanks everyone for for taking time to listen to them. Yeah, I mean, I always enjoy doing it. It's funny we've only. I mean, again, we've only done this for a year and it feels like we've been doing it much longer because we're the second installment of this. This is so. our second Flixtober series. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for coming along for the ride. I'm looking forward to next year. What uh, we got up our sleeves in terms of just the general programming and for Flixtober. I think we've got some pretty cool things on the horizon. So who knows? Yeah. So or, or- Either Pat or I could die, and that could be cool, too. Yeah, that would be actually preferable to this (laughs) (laughs) endless march (laughs) that we call existing. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we'll be back in uh, in the spring um, for season three of Midnight Flicks. Uh, So stay tuned then. But until then, you know. Get fucked. (laughs) Welcome to our world, bitch. Yeah. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. If you're a band looking to submit a song to our podcast or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. For Ape Snake, I'm Pat Mitchell. See you on the other side. Yeah, bitch. Here it is.
You didn't hear me. Fuck face. You fuck face. This is the last time I'd be ignored. The last time. Won't be ignored again.